going to be in Acts 13 as we continue our study through the book of Acts that we're calling The Church, where we're learning from the first church in the book of Acts, and we're applying these lessons to our church so that way we can be the church that God has called us to be. While you're finding your place, I got a announcement. Um, last year, around this time, we kicked off something that is called Multiply. It is a two-year generosity initiative here at Redemption that we have been giving towards as a church. And it's got three goals. First is our church, our community, and our world. And our goal is that we would raise 3.3 million over two years. And we've already given over 1 million last year towards this Multiply goal. And out of it, we've been able to bless our church, whether it's buying food for families, whether it's helping single moms. Um, we've also been able to see ministries get started like Redemption Youth on Wednesdays right here. Incredible, all the stuff that God's doing in the next gen. Ministries like Freedom, which happened yesterday. Can we give it up for Freedom? Man, what God did there was powerful. And last year we gave away over $85,000 to missions, both locally and globally. Isn't that amazing what God's doing? But that leaves a gap and that's for our new building. For those of you who don't know, we're not gonna be at four services for long. Our goal is by the end of this year, we will be in our new building. Praise God for that. And so you guys have been given very generously. In a week or two, we're gonna be starting a new series that we call Multiply. And it's gonna be casting vision to what the Lord is doing. But I wanna share with you right now, I have this in my hands, is the building permit where we can start breaking ground and move into our new building. Can we just give God a shout of praise? Everybody up on your feet for just one second. Go ahead, let's stand up. Let's give God some glory. Let's give Him the honor. Let's give Him the praise. Jesus, you're good. You are faithful. You are holy. We dedicate this moment to you. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen, amen, hallelujah. Oh man, praise God, the Lord is moving here. Well, while you're finding your place in your Bible, Acts chapter 13, let me start off by telling you a story. Um, a few years ago, Ashley and I, we went on vacation to Mexico. Uh, we took a, a nice extended vacation. Here's a little pro tip when you do decide to go on vacation. Uh, you never actually have the same kind of interest nor relax in the same way as your spouse does. So it's important to know your spouse. And also divide up the days to where each person feels appreciated and valued to where they get to do what they want. And then you get to do what they want. And then there's no fighting and arguing. Everybody has a really good time. Because the worst thing to do is to sleep on the couch when you're in a hotel. Amen. So, so we always divide it up. Here's my idea of a dream vacation doing nothing. That's my dream vacation. Like I want to sit on a beach with a book and I want to be left alone. Like that's my dream vacation. I like to do nothing. Ashley likes to do all of the things. She wants to go to every museum. She wants to go all around the town. She wants to go like, you know, on the scenic route and she loves shopping. Anybody else, all the ladies, you're like, amen, right? Loves to go shopping. I don't like spending money. So, uh, but either way, we, we, I, I love her. And so I, I, I do it. All right. And so we went to the market 
And when you first walk in, it's, it's big, it's nice, it's this luxurious mall. And we're looking for hours at all the things that even though I'm in Mexico, I still cannot afford it uh, because, because I'm a church planter at the time. And so we didn't have a lot of money. But I did know that if you leave the market, there's people selling the exact same items on the beach for a lot cheaper. Um, why? Because they were counterfeits. Okay, they're, they're knockoffs, they're ripoffs, right? Because anything worth having eventually is going to be imitated. Anything that's of any value is eventually going to be counterfeited. Anybody in the room into sneakers? Any sneakerheads in the room? Right, so you know that when you buy um, a nice pair of sneakers, you need to get them from a reputable website because they authenticate that item. Same thing when it comes to sports memorabilia. You could buy it on eBay. But you want to make sure that you're buying a, a legitimate jersey with the, the right signature or the right autograph because there's the real thing and then there's counterfeits. Anybody into handbags? Any handbags? Okay. If a guy raises his hand, you're at the wrong church. Um, but what we would say is that there's the authentic and then there's the counterfeit. There's the difference between Prada and Nada, right? So you want to make sure that when you're buying it, you're buying what it is that you actually are, are paying for. Now, when it comes to handbags, sports memorabilia, or maybe sneakers, that's one thing. If it's a counterfeit, who cares? If it's a replica, who cares, right? You wear it as long as you're happy. It really is not that big of a deal. But what about when it comes to the gospel? What about when it comes to Jesus? What if it has to do with eternal life? Well, all that sudden, it matters a lot because the difference between a truth and a lie is the difference between heaven and hell, the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, God and the devil. And so when it comes to the subject of, of counterfeits, we need to make sure that we are actually believing what God's word truly says. Because here's the truth. As a church, we have a choice. We could either stand for the truth or we could fall for the lies. Like, if you don't know what the truth is, then all you're going to believe is lies. If you don't know what God's word says, then all you're going to know is what this world says. If you don't know God's voice, then all you're going to hear is the noise that happens in the world, at the workplace, on social media, in culture. Because all you're hearing all day long is the noise of this world, which is why you need to listen for the voice of the Lord who guides you into truth versus the lies of the world that lead you away from the Lord. So that's what we're going to talk about today in a sermon titled, How to Confront False Teachers. We're going to meet a man named Jesus. Who loves Jesus? Anybody love Jesus? Not this Jesus. You do not love this Jesus. Because we're going to meet a false Jesus today. His name is Bar-Jesus. His name literally means the son of salvation. But as we read the Bible, we're going to see Paul call him the son of the devil. His name is Bar-Jesus, but he's a false teacher. He's a, he's a Jewish magician, a false prophet, a false teacher who is trying to lead people away from the Jesus of the Bible. My question for you is this. If you were presented with a choice between the real Jesus and the false Jesus, would you be able to tell the difference? Would you be discerning enough to be able to identify the truth from the lies, good versus evil, the Jesus of the Bible versus the false Jesus presented to us through the ways of this world? Would you be able to identify the difference? Because they're both named Jesus. 
On the surface, they look similar, but once you get underneath, it's very different. Would you be able to identify the difference between the two? How would you respond? That's what we're going to see today on how we confront false teachers. The first thing we know is this, is the Spirit of God empowers us. Look how the text opens up. The Spirit empowers them. We notice that being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed, they preached the Bible, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Last week, what we noticed is that Paul and Barnabas were sent out as the very first missionaries in all of Christian history. Christianity today is four and a half billion people all across the planet. 2,000 years later, every tribe, tongue, and nation, people worshiping Jesus, churches are there. Anywhere Coca-Cola is, the church has been there first, okay? So there's people everywhere who love Jesus, but that's not always been the case. It originally started with 11 people in a prayer meeting 2,000 years ago when they heard these words from Jesus, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. How? They will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The Holy Spirit fills them up and then gives them the power to go out and be his witnesses everywhere they went. So far, catching up those who are new to the book of Acts, we have seen the, the, the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaritan ministry led by Peter, the leader of the apostles and the disciples in the early first church and the pastor. And now last week, we saw a transition from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now we're heading in towards the missionary ministries of Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. And they have a prayer meeting. They lay hands on him and they send him and Barnabas out to go and be his witnesses. Here's what you need to know is that if you are a Christian, you are filled with the spirit to be sent out into the world that the Holy Spirit fills you up so he can send you out. This is why he says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Every believer is a missionary and every member of our church is to be a minister of the gospel to the world, whether that's at home, whether that's your friends, your family, your neighbor, your kids, coworkers, the guy at the gym, the lady at the coffee shop, the single mom in front of you at the grocery store. We're always looking for opportunities to share our faith, to be a witness. Why? Because we are filled with the spirit, which means we're also being sent out into the world. One of the most devastating things that I think has happened in American Christianity is that we have come to believe that the church is a building. The church is not a building. The church is God's people gathered together, committed to building the kingdom of God. That's what the church is. The word church in the Greek is the word ekklesia. The word kaleo is where it's rooted in, and it means called out. It's the gathering of people who have been called out of the world to be sent back into the world as ministers of the gospel. Church is not a place. Church is a people, and we don't go to church. We go as the church. This is why Sunday mornings and first Wednesdays are to be a priority in our lives. 
Because when you come to church, you're not coming here to be entertained. You're coming here to be empowered. You're not coming here to to, to have a performance. You're coming here to experience God's presence. We're not just entertaining people. We are filling you up with the spirit who empowers you and sends you back out into the world. We gather as the church to be filled up and then we scatter as the church into our world, into our communities, into our homes as the church because that's where real ministry begins. Ministry happens as we minister to the Lord to one another, but we're filled up and we're sent out to be missionaries everywhere and everyone that we meet. You're filled up to be sent back out. That's the first thing is the spirit of God empowers you. Doesn't that sound amazing? Man, I'm filled with the spirit to be sent out on mission. That's great. And for every time the spirit empowers you, here's what you need to know, that the devil opposes you. Have you ever noticed that? That it's like every time I try to attempt something great for God, my life falls apart. Like I gave my life to Jesus and I got baptized. Yay. And then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. Right, you sign up for a small group and then your kids start acting crazy and you can't go. Right, you decide, I'm going to tithe. And the moment you tithe, you, you thought that your barns would be overflowing and your vat would be empty, right? And then you got a flat tire. And now you have to decide, okay, do I give to the Lord or do I give to discount tire, right? Because you're like, like, how do I get to work and pay my bills? And all of a sudden, I thought I was following Jesus and everything is going to get better. And my life didn't get better. In fact, it got worse. Why does it feel like my life is one big constant battle? Do you know why? Because your life is one big constant battle. That we are in a spiritual war that is raging on all around us. It's not just you and Jesus singing kumbaya love songs to one another while listening to K-Love driving your car. No, there is an enemy who hates you, who opposes you, and he wants to take you out and prevent you from accomplishing the things that God has ordained for you. You need to know that God has a plan for your life, but the devil has a plan as well. And he will do anything he can to prevent you from accomplishing the things that God has purposed over you. Because every opportunity God gives, the devil's gonna bring opposition. For every opportunity, there's always opposition. But take heart because before every breakthrough, there's always a battle. And between every testimony, there is a test that God is performing on your behalf. And so know the spirit empowers you, but the devil opposes you. So here's where we see it in the text. If you have your Bibles, we're in... Chapter 13, let's read verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived to Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews and they had John to assist them. They're like, yay guys, this is amazing. We're on a mission trip from Jesus, right? I mean, we're going town to town and island. We're telling people about God, we're preaching. Have you ever been on a mission trip? They're amazing. Like you go on a mission trip and you're serving and you're building orphanages and you're preaching and leading revivals and, and kiddos are jumping on you and you're, 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 you're sharing their faith and people are getting saved. It's amazing. And you can feel the presence of God. It is so beautiful. I imagine John Mark's just like, hey, Barnabas, check this out. I got the goosebumps. I got the Holy Ghost tingles, right? My spirit fingers. I feel it. What's the worst that could happen? Keep reading. When they had gone through the whole island of Paphos, they came upon a certain magician? Uh Uh-oh. A Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. His name literally means the son of salvation. Jesus is Yeshua, uh, Yahweh saves. 
So his name means son of salvation. He's a false Jesus. His name is Jesus, but he's not the real Jesus. He's a false prophet and a magician. And he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. It's like the governor. He's a, a military slash political leader, very wealthy, very rich, very powerful. He's buddy-buddy with Caesar up in Rome. He's been placed there by the Caesar. And it says he's a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear the word of God. So the proconsul is a, a, an intelligent man, and he's probably studied philosophy, and he's probably studied religion, and, and military, and politics. And all of a sudden, there's these two guys going around telling people about this Messiah who died and rose from the dead and forgives sins. And as a Roman and a Gentile, they would worship thousands of gods, the pantheon of gods. But the ultimate God would be Caesar above them because Caesar is who they would submit their life under, the lordship of Caesar. And now there's this guy coming around about uh, a Messiah who died for sins and sets people free and loves and forgives them. I've never heard something like this. Let me go ahead and call these guys and see what they're up to. And so an intelligent man sought to hear the word of the Lord. But what happens Next, but Elimus, the magician, for that is what his name means. Elimus means magician. What does he do? He opposes them. Remember, the spirit empowers, but the devil opposes. God gives opportunities, but Satan always brings opposition. For he was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He didn't want this man to hear the message of Jesus. He didn't want him coming to faith. He didn't want him hearing the good news that there is a God who can save and transform and change their life. And so now there's a battle between the two of them. You have Paul preaching the real Jesus and you have Bar Jesus declaring a false gospel. And I just imagine between the two of them, there's this, there's this back and forth, back and forth that's happening. Paul's sitting here preaching, Jesus Christ lived the perfect life, the life you never could learn to earn, to die the death, the death that you deserve so that through his resurrection, you can have new life both now and forevermore. We are all sinners, fallen short of the glory of God, but God in his grace and his mercy, he has saved us, redeemed us, transformed us, and given us new life, and that life is available for you. If you place your trust and faith in Jesus, it's all available, right? So Paul's going at it, and, and then Bar-Jesus is like, you don't need to listen to him. You're already so successful. You're the governor, why are you listening to these guys? Look how rich you are. Look how, well, look how much power you have. Who needs the Lord when you got the, the authority of Caesar behind you? Oh, his name's Jesus? Well, my name's Jesus too. Oh, he's, he did signs, wonders, and miracles? I can do signs, wonders, and miracles. I can perform miracles. Oh, you, he's a prophet? He, Jesus was a prophet? Well, I'm a prophet. You want a word? I can give you a word. You don't need to listen to them. Oh, he rose from the dead? Where's he at now? Maybe I am he. His name's Jesus. My name's Jesus. Don't listen to them. Listen to me. He's a false teacher preaching a, a false gospel. We're going to see this all over our society today. Go ahead and post on Facebook about how the Bible is true and, and God is real and there's only one way to salvation. Just watch and see all the alimuses show up in your Facebook posts and comment section. You don't need to listen to that. Oh, that's not true. You're so narrow-minded. That's so outdated. No, you don't need it. All that is is bar Jesus's trying to prevent other people from hearing the word of the Lord and coming to faith. That's what our society and culture does, is it likes to criticize and demean those who are trying to point others to Jesus. So what does Paul do? 
What is Paul's response? I love Paul, and we're about halfway through the book of Acts, which means we get to spend the next several months walking through this book, learning from the apostle Paul. And I love Paul because Paul, he just has this gentleness about him. He's just got this like soft spoken tact that he uses. It's, it's wonderful. Watch what, watch what it says. But Saul called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And he said, you son of the devil. I love Paul. Like you can't read that with a whisper. You son of the devil. Like sometimes you got to raise your voice. This ain't Mr. Rogers. This is the Apostle Paul, all right? You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. You're full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Imagine the room goes quiet like it did last service. (gasps) That's so rude. I thought we were supposed to be loving and kind so tolerant. What about other people's perspectives and their opinions? It just sounds so unlike Jesus. Okay, we'll keep reading. Verse 11. Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. That sounds great, right? And you will be blind. And unable to see the sun for a time, and immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he sought people to lead him by the hand. How does Paul confront a false prophet? He rebukes them, and he blinds them. Why would he blind him? That's, that's weird. Because he was showing the world on the outside who the man truly was on the inside. On the inside, he was spiritually blind, and he was the blind leading the blind, and so he showed everybody around how blind he truly was by physically blinding him, and now the person who is trying to lead people astray is reaching for somebody to grab and to lead him by the hand. How does Paul confront a false prophet? He rebukes him, and he blinds him. Now, I love preaching straight through books of the Bible. For those of you who are new, that's what we do. We just go verse by verse through books of the Bible. We're 20 or 36, 37 weeks in the book of Acts. There's 28 chapters. We're going to be here until the end of the book, until we move into our new building, or until Jesus comes back. But either way, we're going to be in the book of Acts. And I don't pick and choose what verses I teach out of. Like some people are like, well, you need to like build a series where it's relevant and meet a felt need and, you know, read the, read the newspaper and that's how your sermon's over that week. We got to make the gospel relevant. Listen, I don't believe that. I believe that God's word is timeless, therefore it's always timely and we got to write on time word today and we don't need to make the gospel relevant because God's word is always relevant for our lives. And when you preach verse by verse, there's occasions where you get opportunities like I have today, where God in his providence and his wisdom, the text perfectly aligns with something we're walking through in our society. Today we have two Jesuses. It's a tale of two Jesuses. Can you think of anything that might have happened this week where people are arguing about who the real Jesus might be? Maybe like a commercial during a Super Bowl called He Gets Us. 
where they showed a bunch of people washing feet, and then it said Jesus didn't teach hate, and then everybody's Facebooks exploded with arguments about who the real Jesus was. Some people are like, he gets us, but do you get him? And other people are like, he gets us, but do you get him? Do you know who he really is? And on the left and the right, people were arguing about who the real Jesus is. And I know you came to church today because you wanted my opinion, so I'll give it to you. <laughs> I normally don't weigh in on controversial subjects when it comes to social media for a couple of reasons. One, I'm tired. Um, and I don't have the emotional capacity to engage in Facebook comments with trolls. Um, and, and three, I typically don't really pay that much attention. But I knew that this text dealt perfectly with this situation, and so I wanted to take a moment and kind of give my take. Um, when I first saw the ad, I was actually at one of our elders' houses. We were watching the Super Bowl, and we were hanging out. I first saw it, and I was like, this is amazing. This is great. I mean, I love it anytime people are talking about Jesus. Anytime. It's a great conversation. I hope God uses it for people to have dinner that week and be like, you know what? Maybe we should go to church this week. Maybe I've been out of church for years and I see that and it just stirred something inside of me. And yeah, I'm going to go check it out. You ever heard of redemption? Let's go give it a visit this weekend. And I pray that that's what God does. Because anytime people start talking about Jesus, I just happen to think that's a good thing. But then I started thinking a little bit more. And I was like, how much are Super Bowl ads? $7 million. And they ran two of them. $14 million. That's a lot of money. What could you do with $14 million? Just so you know, our buildings could be 3.5. We could buy four buildings for that. But how many missionaries could we send? How many churches could we plant? How many... How many impoverished people could we feed? How many homeless could we house? Like, what could we do for the sake of the gospel to rebrand Jesus besides airing a commercial? Like, if we want to really give Jesus a better reputation, how about it start with our lives rather than broadcasting something during a 60-second commercial during the Super Bowl? I just said, there's something off about this. Is this Jesus or is there an agenda that's happening behind it? Because I know that's a lot of money and people don't just air these things without expecting anything back in return. So I started digging a little bit more and I always try to be slow to speak and quick to listen. God gave you two ears and a mouth for a reason. You should listen twice as much as you speak. And the fools, they just jump in and they just start talking. The Bible says that, that, that fools rush in, but wise people seek counsel. And so I just kind of did my own digging and um, here, here's kind of what I discovered is that behind he gets us, which on the surface, it sounds great. But there's another organization attached to it called the Philanthropy Foundation. And this is a organization made up of tons of different donors who not only fund this, but also funds other organizations, mainly political organizations. And attached to it is a company, a software program called Glue, G-L-O-O. And this is what he gets us uses. So when you go click on the website, you fill out the form. They mine your data. They build a massive database with all of your information compared with third parties and then resell it to politicians and political campaigns with the goal of swinging your vote in their favor. One of the 
major donors and the person who actually funded the startup of Glue is a man named Charles and David Koch of the Koch brothers. 17th richest persons in the world, uh, billionaires, and highly political. And they use the data and the information that is sold from these softwares to run and target vulnerable people in certain regions to swing their vote for the candidate of their choice. Their goal is to buy and sell and to pay for elections. What is 2024? It's an election year. Probably one of the most important ones. It would seem very advantageous for them to run this ad to collect and data to retarget us before the elections come up. So I don't really care what you believe when it comes to the subject of, did you like the ad? Did you not like the ad? I, I mean, I have my opinion. But how do you feel knowing that you were bait and switched? How does it feel to know that there's someone who's using the name of Jesus to further their own agenda? I'll tell you how I feel. I feel angry. Because I don't want my Jesus used for an agenda. Because I believe Jesus transcends all of our own agendas. And sure, Jesus washes feet. That's great. But you know what else Jesus did? Flipped tables. And when it comes to money and profiting off of the name of Jesus, it's one of the reasons why he flipped some tables. So for me, I'm like, yeah, Jesus washed feet. That's great. But he did so much more than just wash feet. Yeah, he washed feet, but he also washed away our sins. Yeah, Jesus loves us. Jesus doesn't teach hate, but he does teach holiness. And he loves us, but he loves us too much to leave us the way that he found us. He wants to change us. And so my whole take on it is that we were sold a half-truth, which is nothing more than a whole lie. You know that, right? Like a half-truth is a whole lie. They give you a half a truth. Yes, Jesus loves you. That's great. But Jesus also died for you. Yes, Jesus washes feet. Yes, but Jesus also washes away your sins. Yes, Jesus, he says to the woman who caught in adultery, I do not condemn you. But read the next verse. He says, now go sin no more. It's a half gospel. If all we give people is enough to know that Jesus loves them, but we don't teach them that Jesus changes who we are from the inside out, he radically transforms us. And if we're preaching a half gospel, we're preaching a false gospel to the world. It does not save. It's a half truth, which is nothing more than a whole lie. And so we need to tell people as a church the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God, right? Because the truth will what? Set you free. Would you be able to identify the truth from the lies? Would you be able to discern God's word versus this world? Would you be able to spot Jesus versus bar Jesus? Because people are going to sell you a Jesus, but God's grace is free. And so we need to know which Jesus it is that we're actually following. I get worried about the evangelical West because we are so biblically illiterate and easily manipulated because emotionally we're gullible. We see something with the name of Jesus on it, we automatically buy it. Who's selling that to you? Is that really a conviction of theirs or can they just make some money off of you? I mean, this is everything from media, from the music that's being sold on Christian radio, from the magazines. This is everything because there's big money to be made in religion. 
And so we just reach out and we buy it without thinking twice about what it is that we're actually consuming and then eventually it begins to consume us. You need to know what you believe, why you believe it, and where it's coming from. Here's what Paul says later. I think thinking about this, he he says this, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, just so you know, if people, some people use the name of Jesus, but that doesn't actually mean they love Jesus. They're just using you. Just because somebody quotes a Bible verse doesn't mean they're actually teaching the Bible. Remember, the first lie that was told was Satan in the garden twisting God's word and using against Adam and Eve. When the devil came to tempt Jesus while he was in the wilderness, he came to him and he used scripture to be able to teach them. Just because somebody uses God's name, it doesn't mean that they're using it for his glory. They're taking his name in vain because they're abusing and misusing and twisting and corrupting God's word to be able to fit their own agendas. Would you be able to identify the real Jesus from the false Jesus, the true gospel versus false gospels? And so what I wanna do today is I wanna help you discern the truth from the lies. I wanna share with you nine false gospels that I see very prevalent in our society. The first is the heretic. Right. I don't use the word heretic very often. I think in the eight years I've been the pastor here, I've only preached a sermon on heresy twice because it's a big deal. It's basically like calling someone a rapist. It's like the most harsh thing you could say to another Christian. And so if you're going to call someone a heretic, you better be able to back it up. What is a heretic? A heretic is, some people in the comment sections on YouTube, they're going to be like, you're a heretic. Because I disagree with you. No, heresy is not when someone disagrees with you. Heresy is when somebody disagrees with God. A heresy is when somebody is counter to the teachings of Orthodox Christianity. So an example, we believe in one God, three persons, the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Somebody comes along and says, all religions teach the same thing. It's really, there's multiple gods and multiple paths to gods, and you can pick and choose whatever is best for you. It's heresy. If someone says, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, it was more metaphorical. It was a spiritual resurrection teaching us how to transcend life's difficulties. That's a heresy. And so what a heretic will do is it will teach something opposite of the Bible, but it will still use Jesus' name to try to get you to co-sign on it. The second thing is, is the gymnast. This is a person who does so much twisting and contorting and hermeneutical gymnastics with the scriptures that they can make the Bible say whatever it is that they want you to say. They'll just cherry pick certain verses and they'll teach that as if it's the gospel truth while inadvertently not teaching other verses that actually give that verse context and clarity. This is the reason why we teach verse by verse through books of the Bible because I don't get to pick and choose what it is that I'm teaching and in order to understand the text, you gotta understand the context And it's really hard to do that when you're walking through books of the Bible. A gymnast will twist the scriptures to fit their own biases and opinions. So let me give you a couple examples I see that's very popular right now. Is what some will do is around the subject of, let's say, abortion or sexuality. So they'll say, well, God gave us free will and pro-choice is basically the same thing. I get to choose, this is my choice, that's God giving me free will. These are arguments you'll find all over TikTok and all over social media. Another idea is, is, is scripture. So right now on the rise is you know, polyamory, 
you know, multiple sexual partners, multiple relationships, and so open relationships and marriages. And so what they'll say is, oh, well, in the Old Testament, God's people practice polygamy. It's basically the same thing today. What are they doing? They're, they're twisting the scriptures to fit their own sexual desires. That's, that's the gymnast. Number three is the deconstructionist. This is the person who tears down instead of building up. Jesus says, I will build my church. The deconstruction movement comes along and says, I'm going to tear it down. See, we're told to build up the body. The deconstruction movement comes along and tries to tear down the body. It's easy to tear things down. It takes real gospel work to be able to build something up. Like anybody ever work construction? What's easier to be on, the demo crew or the, the building crew? Yeah, the demo crew's easy. Bunch of people with TikToks just trying to do demo when it takes real gospel work to get down in the weeds and build up the church to be healthy, flourishing, and true. Number four is the charlatan. This is a person who profits off of false prophecy. You know, there is a lot of money to be made. Listen, just follow the money. Like whenever you see that these, all these people are backing something and, and then there's profit to be made, you really got to ask yourself, is this gospel driven or is this an agenda behind it? So I'll give you an example. Whenever I lived in New York, um, we were planting the church and there was a, a prophet that would always come through town and he would rent out this hotel, never a part of a local church, he'd rent out a hotel and it would be packed, and you had to pay to get in, which obviously, that's fine. It's a conference. I get it. Everything costs money. But then if you wanted a prophecy or somebody to pray for you, you had to pay them $20 for a word. And people are so desperate and so hungry and so gullible, they did it. And they would go hear this prophet, and he would prophesy over them, and they would give him the money. He would take up an offering, and then he'd leave town. Those are charlatans. They profit off a of false prophecy. Number five is the legalist. Now, these guys are tricky because they look nothing like the heretic, right? The deconstructionist, they'll come in and they'll have their shirts untucked with their purple hair and their Queen James Bible, and they'll come in and they'll be like, they'll be like, oh, you don't need the Bible? Now, the legalist will come in, and his shirt is tucked in, his hair is parted, he's got a clean shave, and he has the KJV under his arms. And the legalist will say, oh, the Bible, we got to go beyond the Bible. We need to help God out by inventing some extra rules. And so we'll create rules about the rules, rituals, religion, and then we'll impose that upon other people. This is denominationalism, traditionalism. Maybe some of you grew up in churches like this where anybody who didn't go to your church was not a real Christian. If you don't dress like us, look like us, think like us, believe like us, vote like us, you're not one of us. You got to wear, you know, certain clothes. You got to wear your hair a certain way. Um, and you can't drink, can't smoke, can't chew, and definitely don't go with girls who do. So... What do they do? They go beyond the Bible, and they make up their own beliefs, and then they oppose that on you, and they add works to God's grace. How are we saved? By grace through faith, not by works. 
so no one can boast. The legalist boasts because they believe they're saved by their good works. Any, if you, anytime you add works to grace, it's no longer gospel. We are saved by grace, not by what we do, but by what Christ has done. The only work that saves us is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And as we place our hope and trust and faith in him, he forgives us of our sins and makes us whole. The legalist goes beyond the Bible and adds works to grace. That's a false teaching. Number eight, six is the narcissist. This is the person who will use people to further their own ministry rather than using the ministry to help further the people of God. This is a a pastor or a leader who refuses to submit under governing authorities like we talked last week because they want all the authority to themselves. What I said last week is in order to be in authority, you must be under authority. Stay away from a man or a leader who refuses to submit under any spiritual authority because that's abusive, it's toxic, and it's a narcissistic leader. Instead of praying for people, they're preying on people and they're building their own kingdom. They're not building God's kingdom. Number seven is the divider. This is the person who slips in really quietly and they seek to to isolate people to where they get them one-on-one to where they can now cause division. This is what I see Elimus is doing to the pro-council. He's like, no, 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 don't listen to him, listen to me. Don't listen to Paul, listen to me. Don't, don't listen to Jesus, listen to me. I'm the real Jesus. And he's trying to get between because he doesn't want this person to hear the message. Who do dividers and false prophets come for? The strong, mature, spirit-filled, seasoned saints who've been walking with Jesus for 50 years? No. They go for the new believers, the young Christians, the Christians who still don't know the big numbers from the little numbers in their Bible. Because what happens is this, they have them isolated, separated, and man, these people can talk the talk, and now they got them all to themselves. Jesus says they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. What what does a wolf do? Does a wolf go for the sheep who's connected to the herd? No, he isolates from the herd, so then that is when he begins to devour. Anytime you see division, you know the devil's at work. Right now, what's happening in our culture around the subject of he gets us, the division that's taking place between right and left and between the denominations and traditionalism and all these different things, what you're seeing is division at work, which means God's not a part of that. Because God works through order, Satan works through anarchy, God works through unity, and Satan comes and brings division. And the divider comes and he tries to separate people because he doesn't want others to hear the message of Jesus. Then there's number eight is the people pleaser. This is what I think a little bit, I I was kind of concerned about the, the video, the ad, because I noticed it was increasingly more and more, it it built up to try to make a point. It started off very gentle, very humble, very lowly. And then it built up until it got even more and more controversial. But let's just take some of the images and flip them the other way. Instead of having a white man washing a black man's feet, what if the picture was a black man washing a white man's feet? What if instead of a a MAGA person washing the transgendered person's feet or the priest washing the trans... What if it was the other way around? Because if it's truth, shouldn't it work both ways? I mean, two plus two equals four, regardless if you're from America or from England. I mean, black is always, you know, 
the, the common, you know, up is always, you know, parallel to down. What goes up always comes down, whether or not you are in Mexico or in China, right? It's truth that is true. And so if this message is true, then why can't we flip the images? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's appeasing to a culture. It's people-pleasing. And so many people in the last days, Paul says, will accumulate teachers they will not endure sound teaching. They'll have itchy ears. They'll accumulate teachers for themselves to suit their own passions. You can find a preacher that will tell you whatever it is that you want to hear. You want to find a preacher that approves of your sin, whatever it is, you can find it. You can find them online. You can find them across the street. You can find a teacher on YouTube, on TikTok, whatever it is, They'll tell you what it is that you want to hear. You want a, a teacher that tells you it's okay to divorce your husband because you're not happy? Well, you can find that in first and second nowhere in the Bible. But you know what? You'll have pastors who make it permissible to have multiple you know, divorces that are outside of the bounds of Scripture. You want to find a pastor who con uh, confirms and condones sexual sin, homosexuality, transgenderism? Sure, Jesus says, one man, one woman in the covenant of life. But today, we don't believe in men. We don't know what a woman is. What is a covenant? What's the difference? As long as you're happy and nobody's getting hurt. You can find a teacher that will tell you that. But listen, can I tell you, you cannot redefine what God designed God designed marriage between one man, one woman, in a covenant for life together. And that's the way that God intended. But if you want to find somebody who agrees with you, you can do that. You're just not going to find it here at Redemption. They're twisting the scriptures to fit their agenda. And can I say that these are the same lies that people used in the pre-Jim Crow era to twist scripture to try to teach racism that African Americans are less than full people and two-thirds compromise. You're using the same demonic ploys that racists used in the past. You're twisting the scriptures to fit your own agenda. Which leads to number nine is the guru. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm spiritual but not religious? Yeah. Just so you know, demons are very spiritual. Demons are spiritual. They say, well, I believe in God. Good, the demons believe in God and they shudder. Let's just give you a little dating tip for all of you single girls. The guy says, oh, I believe in God. You should ask him, which God? Right. And is his name Jesus? Because demons believe in God, and I ain't about to be dating no demon. I was already married to one once. I ain't trying to do it again, all right? <laughs> I learned from my ways. The guru is spiritual but not religious. They'll use terms like this, Christ consciousness. They'll, they'll talk about energy and force. They'll get you to bend yourself in a pretzel to open your third eye so they could touch your chakra. <laughs> Keep your hands to yourself. My chakra is closed. <laughs> but when you start hearing talk like that, you need to understand, that's false teaching. And you know why it's called false? Not because it's imaginary but because it's true. It's called false gods because there are real gods known as demons that are attached to them. And the devil doesn't care if you get a miracle, you get a healing. 
The devil doesn't care if you feel energy, good vibes from a crystal, as long as it keeps you from pursuing after Jesus, he's fine with that. The goal is not to be spirit, the goal is not to be spiritual, but spirit-filled. Because when you're filled with the spirit, you can discern truth from lies, right and wrong. You have God's power. You don't need demonic power. So why am I talking about this? Because I want you to understand that whatever God creates, Satan counterfeits. Everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. Satan cannot create on his own. He must pervert, twist, and corrupt what it is that God has given. So God sent Jesus. The devil sent bar Jesus. God is truth. The devil brings lies. God is good. The devil comes along and says, no, what God calls good, I call evil. And what I call evil... Well, that's what God calls good. Woe to you, false teachers and preachers, for preaching a false gospel. The devil always counterfeits, never creates. He only imitates what God does. He twists and corrupts and he counterfeits because he wants for you to no longer follow and to know the true God of the Bible. Can you spot the difference between the authentic and the counterfeit? Anybody ever hold a counterfeit bill before? So one time when I was waiting tables, um, I was given a $100 bill as a tip and I thought, this is amazing. And so the next day, I went to the bank, and I slapped that hundy on the table to deposit it. And the bank teller looks at it. She said, where did you get this? I said, oh, a customer gave it to me. And they said, well, I can't accept it. It's a, it's a counterfeit. I said, well, how do you know? And she said, well, when you deal with money all day long, you can kind of spot the difference. Because I deal with the, the, the texture and the paper and the weight of it. And, you know, I'm just counting money all day long. And so the more I touch it, the more I, I can kind of identify if something's off. And so she took out a pen, she rubbed the pen across the top of it, and then it changed the color of the paper. It was a special type of ink. It revealed it's a counterfeit. And I thought, that's, that's really cool. Um, can I look at it? And she was like, no. <laughs> I said, well, can I keep it? She said, if you want to go to jail. And then I said, I've been there before. I don't want to go back. <laughs> I said, well, can I still deposit it? She said, no. I was out. That was me in front of a bank teller. Imagine what your life will be like when you stand before the living and holy God on the day of judgment and you try to get past him to get into heaven and all you have is a counterfeit faith. This is why the scariest verse in all the Bible is, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out devils in your name? Did we not perform miracles in your name? And Jesus will look at him and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. We're not talking about shoes, handbags, collectibles, dollar bills. We're talking about heaven, hell, life, death, eternity is on the line. I think this is why Paul was so aggressive when it came to, to Elimus. Because we read this and we're like, that's so rude. He rebukes him and blinds him. You know what Paul doesn't do? He doesn't wash his feet. You know why? Because we don't wash the feet of wolves. We don't feed wolves. We don't pet wolves. What do we do? We shoot wolves. Because wolves try to come in and destroy the flock. And when you let a wolf in the church, it's going to bring havoc upon the lives of the people who are real genuine sheep who we are supposed to tend to and take care of. And so you must be able to identify the difference between a sheep and a wolf. And as a pastor, my job is to shepherd the flock, which means sometimes i got to shoot the wolves. 
And that's why talks and subjects like these are so important because it helps us identify the truth from the lies, right from wrong and good and evil for the unity and the protection of the church. So I don't care if you liked the ad or you didn't like the ad. That's great. That's fine. I'm trying to bring everybody back into the middle and trying to say, who's the real Jesus and who are you following? And ask this question, can you discern the difference between the truth and the lies? I hope God uses the ad. I hope he does. I hope people watch it and they're like, I'm going to go to church this Sunday for the first time in a long time. And sure, they'd steal your data and sell it to a politician. But you know what? You met Jesus. Your marriage got restored. You're being baptized. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. So what? God is able to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. He uses broken people to do good things. Praise God. He takes what is evil, turns it around. He uses it for good. I pray that there are people in our church who they come because they saw the ad. That's great. I just don't like being lied to. That's it for me. And I don't like people co-opting my Jesus to fit their agenda. So how do I identify false teachers? Let me give you five ways. Number one is you read your Bible. This word is God's word. It's true. It's trustworthy. It tells us who God is, what God does, and it tells us how we're to live. And we're to hide this word in our hearts. We're supposed to read it and to study it and to believe it. Because it is a lamp into our feet, it is a light into our path, it will lead us and guide us in a dark and corrupt world. And if you don't know what God's word says, all you're going to know is what the world says. Because you spend eight hours a day on your phone and maybe ten minutes on your Bible. Are you reading the word of God? Number two, are you spending time in prayer? Jesus says it like this, my sheep will what? Know my voice. Are you so close to the Lord that you can identify his voice from the noise that's happening in our culture? Are you so close to where you can be like, mm, that's not my Jesus? To where you can hear somebody say something, you're like, yeah, that doesn't sound like my God. That, that's not Jesus right there. Because anything that goes against God's word is a violation of his word. God is never gonna contradict himself. And so you can hear something be like, mm, no, I, I spend time in my word and I spend time with God in prayer. My sheep know my voice and that does not sound like my Jesus. Number three is you get in a small group. Hey, next Sunday is small group Sunday. We're going to be having small group signups next Sunday. Who wants excited for small groups to kick off? We got small groups all across Southeast Texas from Orange, Vider, Port Arthur, Mid-County, Lumberton, Beaumont, everywhere in Southeast Texas. There is a small group for you, so sign up. But here's why this is important. Because life change doesn't happen in the lobby. It happens in a living room. Like we only get five minutes together in the lobby. There's no way that we could really get down into the weeds of faith and questions and skepticism and doubts and process our everything together in five minutes in the lobby. But if you really want to go deep, you want to do life with somebody, then it doesn't happen in the lobby. It happens in the living room. And there you can ask questions. You can read your Bible and you can have wise counsel. Number four, by becoming a member of a church. So this week is our final week of membership. We have about 30 people who are becoming members of Redemption. Right now, it's incredible. We offer membership. Thank you. We offer membership twice a year. Next sign-up will be in June. If you haven't yet plugged in, come to Next Steps on the first Sunday of the month. But here's why it's important. It's because a wolf will try to separate you from the flock. People say, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. No, but you don't also need to 
parachute to jump out of an airplane, but it sure does help, right? And so without a church, you're separated and isolated, but in a church, there's sound doctrine, there's good people, there's the gospel that's being presented. Find you a Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching, spirit-filled, gospel-centered, demon-slaying, devil-stomping, Jericho-marching church that you can do life with. Number five, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because as the Spirit fills you up, He sends you out. And the Spirit will empower you, but the devil will oppose you. Constantly being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. There's an author, his name's Clinton Arnold. He writes a book called Three Crucial Questions for Spiritual Warfare. And he opens up by saying this, a Christian will encounter demons the same way a gardener will encounter snakes. It's just a part of the job. Are you so full of the Spirit that it overflows in your life because the spirit will empower you, but you should know that the devil will oppose you. Every step forward, there's a push back. Every breakthrough first comes with a battle and every testimony starts off with a test. As the spirit empowers you, the devil's gonna oppose you. So you must be filled up because God is sending you out. Are you ready for when the day comes? And here's why this matters is because if you don't know what you believe, you will believe anything. That's where I get so worried for many people. It's because we don't know what we believe. And so we end up believing anything, anything that somebody says from the pulpit, anything that somebody says on TikTok or, or YouTube, or we read in a book, you just believe anything because you heard it and it sounds good, it sounds true. But just because something is popular doesn't make it true. And just because something's not popular doesn't mean it's a lie. No, truth is truth, whether you believe nor agree in it or not. And when the world starts getting crazy, we need truth more now than ever before and the reality is that if you don't know what you believe you will believe anything and if you don't stand for the truth then guys you will fall for the lies so we must stand for the truth so what happens okay Paul blinds the dude everybody's like what the heck just happened mist fills the room and he's being led off by the hand how does the story close look how the the story ends right here but the proconsul believed when he saw what occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The spirit empowers, the devil opposes, but the church still grows. Some of you are wondering, like, Byron, why did you spend this much time talking about this? Like, what happened? The last several weeks were like so happy-go-lucky, feel-good messages. Like, I really like those where you pat me on the back and tell me it's all going to be okay. And, 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 and that, that I can, I, I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I love those messages. Can I get another one of those? Come back next week. But my job is to, to preach the word. And this week, this is what the word says. And this is God's word for you. And he saw it fit for you to be here this day. And it's just what we do as a church. Because right now, people are hungry for truth. In a world that has gone crazy, we give them the truth. And they hear it and they see it. And they're like, this sounds so foreign from everything else that I'm being told. When I'm being told that left is right and up is down and right is wrong, I come here and I feel like there is a compass pointing me to true north. There is some sanity in the midst of a cloud 
clown world. There is some truth in the midst of the crazy, and I hear it, and my heart, it, it, it erupts. My heart, it grows because finally somebody is telling the truth, and this word is truth, and this word guides us, and it directs us. The Bible is God's word. It is true, and when we preach God's word, the church grows. Here's how I put it in your notes, is that we are not God's messengers. We are, his, we, are, we are God's messengers, not his editors. That we are not to edit the message. We are not to water down the message. We are not to tamper with the message. We don't pull our punches when we preach. We preach the full gospel, for we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the gospel of God that is the power of salvation to those whom believe. This word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts to the joints, the hearts, and the marrows, and exposes that which lies underneath. The grass withers, but the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord is forever. We are not the we are not the editors. We are the messengers of God's word. And we are to preach the Bible. And we're to see God grow the church. This is why redemption is growing the way that we are. Up 40% over the last year. We're at four services. On Easter, we're going to go to six services for that Sunday. $85,000 given to missions. Over a million dollars given towards Multiply. We bought a building. We're renovating it. We're going to move into a new auditorium by this time next year. I got the building permit. A big sign's going outside that says, coming soon. And it's because we preach the word. We teach the Bible. We're seeing lives being changed. We're watching God move and might move in power. And just like the pro council, when they see and when they hear, they believe because God's word grows the church. The spirit empowers. The devil opposes. But the church always grows. Amen. Let's give it up for God's word today.